You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name's Ken Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. You're down in the AP Laboratory where myself, Matt Lane, and Craig Stout all get together, talk about last week's game, look ahead to next week's opponents, and we'll bring them on shortly. First, wanted to talk a little bit about the trade deadline that has come and gone without the Chiefs doing much uh, at all. They didn't do anything. And um, I'm not overly upset about it. It would have been nice to get a guy like Landon Collins into the mix. Obviously, they didn't do that. Sounds like the asking price for uh, Collins' services were particularly high and something it didn't seem like the Chiefs were willing to uh, to engage with. So, uh, Landon Collins stays in New York. Uh, Dexter Fowler, my, or Dante, Dante Fowler, sorry, might have been a little bit interesting to add um, I think one of the things we talked about today with Matt um, in the in the message thread is you know you give up a third this year and you can recoup some of that with a you know a compensatory pick maybe even a third if you're lucky you know probably looking at a fourth round compensatory pick if everything goes right um, so you know you it, I don't know if the the Dante Fowler asking price was super high. Um, he would have been a nice piece to add, get get a little bit more pass rush, a little more depth. Um, but you know he stay or he he moves on to the Rams. The Chiefs will face the Rams here in a couple weeks, so we'll see what Dante Fowler brings to that Rams team. Um, but I wouldn't be too over I wouldn't be too overly stressed about what happened uh, at the trade deadline with with you know no moves being made by your Chiefs. There's there's plenty of talent on this roster, and right now is a window for some young guys to develop, uh, get some reps, get some experience, and be ready for the stretch run and get you know an opportunity for guys like Justin Houston and Eric Berry to get healthy. You know, we're hoping that you know you get to see those guys later in the year. And if they are, the Chiefs could be at at near full full health to to make a stretch run, to make a playoff run. Um, and that's really what you're looking for. You know, if the Chiefs can continue to do what they're doing uh, in this stretch here, then they don't need Eric Berry right now. They don't need Justin Houston right now. Three of the next four games from this team that that, that they're playing uh, are, are against bad football teams. The Raiders, the Cardinals, the Browns. They have uh, f- like five or six wins between them. And... Uh, there's one game, obviously, the Rams sandwich between some of those bad teams. But this next run or this next month, you know, it looks like a three and one is a very likely outcome. So you're staring at ten and two, uh, heading into December. Bring on Eric Berry. Bring on Justin Houston. You know, hope uh, Mitch Morse is is up and running here in the next couple weeks. Um, a lot of momentum. Daniel Sorensen. There's there's plenty of momentum here for this for for this team and. I wouldn't be too overly stressed about the fact that they didn't make a move. I don't think Hashan Haha Clinton Dix is a guy that is going to change your Super Bowl odds significantly. They can bring uh, they can bring some uh, some growth here and some some talent back into the mix very easily over the next month and a half. So don't be too stressed about it. It's going to be all right. As for Patrick Mahomes uh, this week. Rough start, kind of a kind of a weird start. Didn't like the finish uh, to the game, and we'll talk a little bit about that on Thursday in the uh, needs improvement article. But a lot of really good things from the young kid. One of my favorite throws of the entire season actually happened in this game. Uh, he threw with anticipation on an out route to Travis Kelsey and split three defenders as a guy was hitting him. I just thought it was an exceptional throw. I wrote about you can find it on Arrowhead Pride in something smart and something special. Outside of that, 
Um, you know, I, I thought the decision making was pretty good. Uh, I thought the play calling was fantastic from Andy Reid. We'll be talking a little bit about some of the things he did in the witty, uh, the weekly video breakdown series. Uh, the well, It'll be up, I think, on Thursday. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. A lot of really cool stuff that I thought Andy Reid did, basically making some of the simplest concepts in football better. So be on the lookout for that. Um, we're going to talk to Craig Stout in a little bit. We'll bring Maddie on first, and then we'll answer the uh, we'll answer all your questions on an AP mailbag to close out the show. We've got Matthew Lane. Find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Here now, Maddie. What's going on, my man? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Besides uh, the fact that me and you are going to about to throw hands over your D Ford and no trade takes. I wasn't even I wasn't even gonna I wasn't even gonna approach the the should they should they not question about D Ford. I was just gonna ask you, how about your boy this week? Oh, I was coming in hot. I was prepared for your usual no, I, slander of the goat. <laughs> I'm but, not going uh, there today. I'm gonna let you have I'm gonna let you have your moment. Oh man, D Ford, this is just like the perfect game to outline everything that he's doing better this year than he's done in the past that should make people believe that it's not just about getting paid. Just the way he's playing, it's a different demeanor. I give people that, but I think it's less to do with he's about to get paid and the fact that he knows what he's doing. Mike Smith, the new outside linebacker coach, just seems like he's been amazing for him. No, he he has. It, it looks like he just looks like a different player this year. Um, and I, I'm impressed. I mean, he had three sacks this week and he was all over the field. What was what was your like favorite? What was your best like most your favorite takeaway? I guess what was your favorite takeaway from D Ford's performance this week? I mean, if I don't get a rundown every single D Ford play and have to pick <laughs> one. Now, it's going to be his second strip sack, the one that Breland Speaks recovers, because there's just something, a couple little things in that that just show so much growth as a pass rusher. So, like, first, he comes around the edge, and he does this a nice little stab move into Garrett Bull's chest, which gives him the edge. Like, it sets a nice soft edge for him. It's not a strong stab move or a long arm or anything. It's just enough to set up the timing, and as he goes to rip under Garrett Bull's, you notice that Bulls kind of gets that arm around his neck in the typical, you know, I'm holding Tom Bahali in a headlock move that Chiefs fans are so used to seeing. What D4 does next is great. Instead of just trying to turn the corner and accept the holding penalty, he violently throws that shoulder that Garrett Bulls has kind of wrapped over towards the ground, and it just makes Garrett Bulls fall flat on his face. And D4 is able to stay up long enough to hit Case Keenum and knock the ball out. But it's just like, you can see in his mind that that's what he was trying to do, and that's something that D. Ford of even two years ago or last year probably would have no clue what to do in that situation. He would just try to run, keep running in the, the circle around the back of the quarterback. I'm amazed that someone was able to get into Garrett Bull's chest. That's just just confounding, Maddie. Um, oh my God, that guy. <laughs> watching him and Breland Speaks go at it for 50 snaps a game is going to be something that's going to be just so much fun for AFC West fans. Just two guys that are just like running into each other, like battering Rams over and over again with no real purpose. It, it's something. <laughs> it's uh, it's really funny to watch John Elway's draft class just die in a fire. Um, okay, so Samuel H. Watkins, aka Lizard King, aka Sam Watkins, our guy. He had his best performance uh, as a Kansas City Chief this week. Uh, that was fun to watch too, man. Man, it was just a good week for me all around. We got D Ford out here with like 800 pressures and three sacks. Sammy Watkins is going off. Like, I just nailing everything. But no, it was Watkins' best game. And I think even more so than just the stats and the scores that were nice to see, and even how he was winning was great. But more important, you just see the difference in how much less difficult it was for the Chiefs to win this game versus the Broncos than it was the first time without Watkins. Mahomes. Right was still running around a little bit. Like, the Denver Broncos defense has got into Mahomes' mind a little bit. I, he just scrambles so early against the Broncos sometimes. It's, it's an interesting case study on why it happens. Right. But you just see Watkins is able to beat that man coverage at a better rate than Chris Conley or Demarcus Robinson. It just made a huge difference. This offense looked more comfortable. I liked uh, I liked a couple of those plays where you got some yards after the catch too. Like I, we've talked about this a couple times, but a couple times before. But like watching him after the catch is just a joy. 
Yeah, and I said it a little on the radio today, too, and we've talked about it. He might not have Tyreek Hill's speed, but he's equally as good, if not even a better runner of the football, just the combination of power and vision and just the angles he's taken on DBs. And then he finishes with contact. So then getting the ball to him underneath kind of in these little drags and slants and stuff, it's just great because he's two steps away from turning it into a big gain, even through arm tackles the entire time. I, I think we're just continuing to see this offense is just getting scarier and scarier. Maddie, I wanted to know, quick report on the Browns defense. How deep will Jabril Peppers be playing tomorrow or Sunday? You know, no, if it was last year, he would probably be playing on about the five-yard line no matter where the Chiefs are. But this year, they've controlled them. They've reined him in a little bit. They've it's got a good defense. They play better at home than they do on the road, and so it's kind of weird to watch them back-to-back weeks just look entirely different. But they have a good pass rush. Denzel Ward's a stud. The rest of the coverage in the back end's up and down. So it's not the best defense in the league, but it's certainly a defense that could pose some problems if the Chiefs don't fix some interior blocking issues they had last week that's maddie lane find him on twitter at chief in carolina we'll bring you back here in a bit for the mailbag all right sounds good kent we've got craig stout find him on twitter at barley hop craig you're day-to-day with a knee injury. You and Eric Berry are on the mend right now, aren't you? No, 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 no. Hang on. Let's be careful here. You start throwing around words like day-to-day. As long as you're not using literally, I think I'll live. The <laughs> moment we start the word literally in there, I am on my deathbed. <laughs> Craig, what did you do to your knee? Uh, it, a freak cooking accident involving my dog being underfoot and me trying not to step on his paw and then re centering my balance and twisting my knee and i'm old guys i don't even have to make the joke for you it's like, it's yeah no it just it. yeah I, my body is the joke right now clearly <laughs> um we got a beer question craig yes at, at, yeah i know at keith mclean 78 what is the best way to drink beer out of the bottle out of the van Poured from a bottle into a glass? Poured from a can into a glass? Like, give us... What is it, Matt? What is it, Craig? Like, Always pour your beer. It's fine to drink it out of a bottle. It's fine to drink it out of a can. But always pour your beer into a glass. If you pour your beer into a glass, then you can get your nose in there as well. And drinking, while you're drinking, you have the smell coming up. Your nose is in the glass. You get the full experience. When you eat, you don't pinch your nose and eat. You want the full aroma, (laughs) the full experience. Pour it into a glass. Now, I think this is a a typo here out of the van, but I'm going to take this and run with this. Oh, God. My buddy. (laughs) My bad. My buddies over here, Touring Taps in Kansas City. Give them a little shout out here. It's an old school van, and they've got a bunch of taps on the side of it and (laughs) refrigerators in it. They will come to your place, have beer on tap. It's a portable, basically, bar. So look them up, Touring Taps. that sounds amazing. You could t- you could tell it's the middle of the season when I'm just like disregarding a clear typo and just reading it. I trusted Keith. I trusted our buddy Keith. So it's truly week eight. <laughs> it's truly week eight. I'm I'm about you know this, this I'm hitting a wall here. This is one of those weeks. Um, hey, uh, speaking of hitting a wall, <laughs> Ron Parker. Ron uh, Parker is awful and everybody (laughs) got to see it on display this week it was not even it wasn't even something that I really had to try that hard to showcase Ron being poor this week it showed up in big ways on two of the scoring drives that the Broncos had Ron Parker was responsible for arguably the biggest play of the drive on that drive not keeping the lid on top of a defense when the Chiefs were in cover two. They're not even running cover two that often this year. They're, you know, they usually run a cover one and ask their deep safety to do a lot more work. They've been running cover two lately and Ron still isn't handling the job. And somehow, somehow beyond me, he's still on the field right now. I know that, that that we hear this stuff about how well he knows Bob's defense, you know. Well, 
Does he's he not I showing mean, he's it. Yeah. He's busting. He's not showing it. If he knows Bob's defense so well, why isn't he executing it on a routine basis? He's just not. He's bad. He is a detriment to this defense right now. He needs to be off the field. I don't care if he's organizing them. Somebody else can't be worse. You know uh, you know how close he was to giving up a touchdown to Jeff Howerman, too? In uh, in the end zone, like if Case Keenum is a different, decent enough passer, he probably gives up another touchdown too. When he's in man coverage. Yes, yes, he he. Hey, oh my god! And see the the other part of this, which I I know that this is the next part of the segment, so we're just gonna roll right into it here. Just, just transition for me. Just Craig. transition just for going, buddy. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm on a roll, Kent. So Jordan Lucas gets <laughs> he gets unceremoniously benched somehow I, I don't know why we haven't heard anything regarding injury nobody said anything about him getting put on the bench there he played pretty well in the first half he had a missed tackle early he was playing off coverage but by design and allowed a reception underneath other than that he spun into the box well was a good run defender they actually got significantly worse the moment he stepped off the field in run defense and his last coverage snap before he became the third safety for the day was almost an interception but he tripped so i he did nothing to pull himself off the field that was obvious to anybody i don't get it i don't either it doesn't make sense. I mean, even like the broadcast is picking up on the ineptitude of Ron Parker. And I look, I liked Ron Parker back in the day. He had a good stretch here in Kansas City. But, I mean, Tom Bahali had a good stretch in Kansas City too. We don't see him on the field right now. Yeah, Derek Johnson had a great stretch in Kansas City. We're not seeing him on the field right now either. I, I'm with you. I like Ron. Ron was a warrior for us at a time where we needed a guy that could be sort of that jack-of-all-trades, and he was good at it. He's not good at it anymore. It's time. I think we're almost more mad at like Bob Sutton than we are at Ron at this point, really. Oh, I'm significantly more mad at Bob <laughs> Sutton than I am at, at Ron Parker. This broke me this week, just watching that all go down. You pulled the best safety in this last quarter of the season. The best safety that you had, you put him on the bench and you continue to let this other guy play. That's on Bob. That's 100% on Bob. We've got some mailbag questions about Bob. It's it's going to be lit, as the kids would say, Gregory. Uh, real quick, the fighting Baker Mayfields. What uh, what have you seen from them so far? Well, um, the, it's going to be different this week. You know, firing half your coaching staff basically the week before the Chiefs game is going to change things up a little bit. Uh, they, they have a couple of bigger running backs and Duke Johnson and Nick Chubb, not necessarily fast guys. So maybe we can be able to utilize Reggie Ragland a little bit more this week. He's not going to get completely smoked by a guy like Philip Lindsay, uh, Jarvis Landry, great yards after catch. That's damaging for the center of our defense here. And then, yeah, Baker Mayfield, they've got him taking a lot of, of long drops, lots of seven-step drops. D. Ford and Breland Speaks, yes, I am saying that Breland Speaks, just because he's dropping so deep that Breland can just run at an angle, (laughs) they might actually be able to do some more damage this week just because of those longer drops. But we'll have to see. I'm going to watch a lot more and see if I can pick up on some tendencies that will probably shift with a new play caller back there. That's is Craig Stout. Let's bring Maddie back on to a mailbag. And we are all back together again. AP Nerd Squad all together. Going to answer as many questions as we can on this mailbag. Uh, and we have a great one to start. Maddie, this is uh, this is exactly for you. Try to Try to keep your answer as short as possible here thinking about the improvements for next year <laughs> who are the top three safeties outside linebackers and corners that you would like to see the chiefs pick with their first three selections that's from oj dub 35 we're taking this a little bit different we're going to do a quick mock draft of the first two rounds all three of us are going to give a pick for each pick real quick and uh, we've got 
nine prospects to get through. Maddie, kick us off with your first-round pick. All right, just to set the stage, we all kind of decided to do the same positional player based on what we think the biggest team needs are. So the first pick's all going to be an edge player from each of us. Then we're going to have a cornerback. Then we're going to have a safety. But my first pick that I would take in the draft is going to be Brian Burns, an edge player out of Florida State. Great pass rush plan, super bendy as a pass rusher, good get off. Problem is he's about 220 pounds, so falling towards the end of the first round is possible if teams are that leery of his weight. But he's not as big of an open gate as you would think against the run. He's just not great against it. Yeah, and for me, at pick 32, the Chiefs' natural pick this this offseason, uh, I'm going with an edge player, Montez Sweat. He's out of Mississippi State. He wears number nine. He's 241 pounds and 6'5". He wears number nine in the SEC. We already know that the Chiefs like guys that play edge and wear number nine in the SEC. Breland speaks. So <laughs> he's he's Does, is he on the ground? Uh, no, is he no, never he, on the he's ground not. Or? He's sometimes on the ground. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna <laughs> do that. He's he's got he's very long. He he's got pretty good bend. Uh, he he sets a really good edge, but he does have a plan of attack. He does have an arsenal in his pass rush moves. He's really good with his long arm, and he he's got a good push pull as well. And yeah, yeah, he's he's got a really good first step too. I think he'd be a nice addition as kind of a a strong side uh, edge player. So I'm going to go with another SEC player. It's Josh Allen and Edge from Kentucky. He's kind of climbing up boards. He's rising a lot lately. Um, He's a senior pretty fluid athlete i like his first step i think it's pretty good and he continues to get better and better he's he's kind of been on the rise um people are really kind of paying attention to he's becoming more and more refined as time goes on and he's only going to get better he just continues to improve so there's three edge prospects i think that's a very clear need for this team right now and uh we'll go to round two maddie all right, so coming back at the first, our first pick in the second round, which belongs to the Rams. So we're looking at the thirty-first pick, I assume, in the second round. <laughs> we got the yeah, we got that's the who we're beating in the Super Bowl, yeah. right? Dipping back into the ACC. This time we're going to Duke for Mark Gilbert. Now, unfortunately for Gilbert, he did tear his ACL early this year, but he should be ready to at least do some testing about pro day time and be healthy going into next year. So, and there's a little bit of a risk there. But if you just look back on his tape last year, he's got some of the best ball skills you're ever going to see as a cornerback coming through, especially not a huge school like Duke. He, I think he had six interceptions last year with 15 passes broken up. Now, the issue with him is another guy. Apparently, I like light guys this year because he's only going to weigh about 175, 180 pounds while tipping six foot, six one. But he can play off. He can play press. He can track a ball over his shoulder. He can come down keeping his eyes on the quarterback. He can literally do everything. The biggest concern is just going to be his ability to hold up at such a light weight. But when you get the ball production that he does, I think you can deal with a guy that might not be the best tackler on the outside. Yeah, and I'm going a, a little bit of the opposite here. I'd, I've got another corner here out of Michigan. Uh, he's a junior, Lavert Hill. Uh, he's listed at 5'11", 177, and he looks smaller than that somehow. Uh, but he he has great press technique. He's got a great mirror. He's very patient in his mirror too. He really does wait for the receiver to commit before doing you know before making the move. He's not trying to be too active, you know. And his hands are good. He's not very grabby. He's just really good in man coverage. But the problem is he's just small. So I think he might drop. He's a very good corner, just small. My guy's not small. Uh, it's uh, it's Chris Boyd, cornerback out of Texas, 6'1", 190, 195 pounds, plenty big enough. Um, pretty pretty physical guy, I think. I think he's a willing tackler. I think he's willing to stick his nose in the run game. Um, I think he's a pretty fluid athlete, uh, pretty good in man coverage. He, had a, he gave up a big play this week. I think he's just struggling to kind of turn and locate the ball against Oklahoma State but um, he's a guy I like he's kind of in that I think round two mold Um, what I've seen from him I like all right Uh, how about let's go to the safety position Maddie for the second second round pick of the Chiefs all right so coming right back we're going to keep in the defensive backfield and the safety class this year isn't my favorite that I've seen in a while there's some super good talent at the top and maybe a couple guys that you're going to want if they fall this far that you'd love to take 
but I don't see a lot of mid-late, early mid-day two kind of picks, but I got a guy here whose name is Yugo Chukwu Amadi. He goes by Yugo. He plays safety for the Oregon Ducks, and he's a little undersized, not thin this time, so we finally got somebody with good thickness. He weighs about 200 pounds at five foot nine. So a short little guy. He plays in the box and the slot a lot, but has the ability to carry players vertically. He'll play some split zones downfield, but he, same thing. He's got great ball skills. He's a little bit more adept attacking downhill, jumping routes than he is playing the ball up over his shoulder, but he's not afraid to challenge big receivers or tight ends. When it comes to fitting versus the run, he's very patient and he does a good job staying assignment sound. You'd like him to be a little more aggressive because he has stopping power with his thick frame. He just doesn't always play behind the line of scrimmage as much as you'd want given the overhang position. But for the most part, I think he'd be a great fit in a safety room that's kind of lacking a safety that can play in the box, can tackle, and can be physical. So don't let the short size fool you. This guy can play down in the box and he'd be a pretty good addition to a room that needs some tackling. Yeah, and I've got a, a guy kind of in a similar build, Taylor Rapp out of Washington. Now, he probably won't make it to the bottom of the second round, but if he does, it's because he is a traditional sort of box safety. He's a big hitter. He takes great angles. He's a great run defender. He is a a pretty good man defender as well. Not so great deep. He doesn't necessarily have great range back there, but he's a guy that can kind of step in and play a robber role, apex defender, man in the slot. It, he, he's a guy that would be a big boost and add some much-needed aggressiveness in the box for the Chiefs next year. I'm uh, I'm going to the SEC again. I guess I'm Brett Veach. Uh, how about J.R. Reed, uh, a safety from Georgia? Um, I've seen what I've seen of him. I really like. I think he, you know, he kind of plays all over the field. I've seen him play single. I've play, seen him play as an apex defender. I've seen him blitz off the edge. I've seen him block a punt. Um, I I really like him. I think he's interesting. He, I don't think he's a great athlete, but um, I think he he plays hard. I think he's physical. I think he's willing to, you know, tackle, willing hitter, um, guy to keep an eye on. I think that's probably about where his range is going to wind up being is that kind of late second, early third kind of range. Next question at P Flum asks, do you keep Houston and let Ford walk? Do you keep Ford and deal Houston? Keep them both. Um, what kind of plan are we are we looking at here if you're thinking about uh, next year's plan for the edge position? Well, I, this year has just been a fantastic year for D Ford. Maddie hit it perfect, you know, talking about D Ford earlier, and we've been talking about him for weeks and weeks and weeks now. D looks like a completely different player, and I don't. I'm not chalking it up to contract year. I do think that him and Mike Smith have both put together a great plan for him. They've developed him as a player. Meanwhile, Justin Houston is hurt and can't be on the field for what seems like the 30th year in a row. I think at this point, you cut your losses, take the 7 mil and dead cap, sign D if you can, or tag him to keep him in-house. That way you don't have to replace two edge players and you roll with D Ford next year. Yeah, Craig took exactly what I was going to say. I just wrote an article about D Ford up on Arrowhead Pride. What he's doing right now is something that you're not going to get someone to do right away from the draft, even as good as this edge class is going to be. So keep D Ford next year. He's clearly been a better player than Justin Houston. This year he's been more available as well. So take the loss of the money. What you save cutting Justin Houston technically is going to cover all but a couple million of the franchise tag for D Ford. That's assuming you can't get a long-term deal set in with him. So if you can find a way to get a two, three-year deal with him that he might take because it would allow him to get one more big deal before he's done playing, if not, franchise tag him, see where Speaks, K-Pass, whatever your next drafted player are after next season before you have to make another decision on Ford. Just, I don't think you can afford to bring both of them back, and D Ford has just been the superior player by so far. It's not even a question in my mind. If you ask me today, I would say cut Justin Houston, 
tag D Ford, draft an edge in round one. That's where I would go. I'm still just kind of leery about any back issues that could linger. I'm scared about signing another guy long term. At SHWeb29 asks, would you trade your or the Chiefs first round pick next year to the Bengals for Jesse Bates, my son? Wow. That's a that's a question right there. Ooh. Yes. On one hand, yes, I would because we need the safety help. Jesse Bates was almost a first round grade for me. He was just outside the top 32, so it's not like it would be a bad value if I was comparing it to my last year's draft board. So, it lines up there and he's played even better as a rookie than I'd expect. On the other hand, I need that first round pick to get an edge player to replace Justin Houston and especially if we're not going to keep D Ford. And I don't think Breland Speaks and K-Pass are ready to be full-time players that can actually affect a quarterback on any consistent basis. So losing a first-round pick in this edge class is also a little upsetting. So we're going to go with a no. Yeah, it's a no from me as well. Uh, Kent can attest to this since before the draft last year. I did not want to mortgage any of this year's draft assets because I wanted to be able to have the flexibility to go up and get the very best edge defender that they could this season. Edge defenders are ridiculously expensive. D Ford legitimately might get $20 million a year just based off of his production this year, and he will have earned it based on what the edge market is. You have to have cheap edge players in order to stay relevant in this game, just like you have to have cheap quarterbacks. I'm a no. Sweep it. I you'd be you might be surprised. I don't think I would. Um, I think you know you're looking at three and a half years of Jesse Bates. He's awesome. He's great. I I love him. You guys all know how I feel about Jesse Bates. But no, we gotta. I think the Chiefs need to find an edge rusher, and that does inhibit their ability to do that. Uh, let's keep this one quick. At Chiefs Diva sixty nine asks, what are your predictions on Eric Berry and? Dirty Dan playing this season. How about uh, how about a weak prediction for each one of these? Just give me a prediction on each one of these. I'll start. Um, I'll say Dirty Dan Sorensen is back next week. Not this week, but the week after. And then we'll call Eric Berry week. Let's call him week uh, 13. We'll call it week 13. I definitely think you see both. My only concern is with Dan's injury. I really don't know what he's going to move like after that. Some guys can come back a little quicker than others, but that's not an injury that people usually jump right back to their same level of athleticism the very next year. So I think you're going to see him active in the next couple weeks, but I'm not sure what kind of play time you get out of him. I can't really make a decision on that until I see him just play and move around a little bit. Um Eric Berry, we're going to go. He's not going to play in Mexico. So our next game after the Rams game is going to be Eric Berry's first game. Dan, as soon as we can see reports of him practicing, I can kind of be- give a better guess on him. Yeah, I'm going to go. Uh, I-, I think because Dan has to be active within the next two weeks in order for him to come off of IR, if I understand those rules correctly. Uh, I think Dan, we see active for the first time this week i'm calling it big surprise and then i'm calling eric berry's active for week 10 against arizona and plays in mexico wow at uh at justin dondi asks we hear about young quarterbacks playing with a limited playbook to help them excel without overcomplicated plays do you guys think reed has done that all that done this with pat and does Reed have uh, finally have the quarterback he has needed to open the playbook up entirely? Um, I don't think they've held. I don't think they they've held Pat back too much. Um, I think they've tried to build a real strong support system around him. You heard uh, on the on the broadcast that you know the offensive line has done some help, have given him some help correcting a few protection issues at times this year. Um, so I think the infrastructure around him is pretty good. I think Andy's met him halfway on stuff, trying to incorporate things that he liked from college. Um, but I think that they've thrown a lot at him. I don't think they've babied him. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they have either. I, I think they hit him with just about everything. He's he's not a slow learner that we know for sure by his in-game adjustments and his ability to pick up the playbook pretty quickly. 
I, I think that maybe last year they had a small install for him, but this year I think the whole thing is open for him. I think, uh, I think yeah, Andy has, has given it all to Pat. Yeah, I don't think there's anything he's particularly doing to keep Pat from getting the full access to the playbook or anything like that. I do think it's a big deal that, not that Alex Smith didn't have the full ability to run all of Andy's playbook as of last year, but now with Pat, I think Andy has been able to expand on a lot of the stuff. And the thing you always hear with Andy is he'll show you the same look five, six times and then run five, six completely different plays out of it. And I think just having a quarterback like Mahomes that can put the ball anywhere on the field and make all the reads anywhere on that field has just expanded that playbook even more. Yeah, I think Tyreek Hill's explosiveness shows that. Uh, at the best foot forward, our guy Jordan Foote. Uh, asks rank Kendall Fuller, Orlando Skandrick, and Steve Nelson, uh, and uh, yeah, just rank those three, and then uh, we'll. I'll have a bonus question after that. Um. Well, Kendall Fuller's definitely the best of the three, although Fuller has not been as good this year as I think most Chiefs fans hoped for. Could be because of the surrounding pieces around him, just a new scheme for whatever reason. He's just struggled a little bit more this year than I think most of us thought. The next two are about the same to me. Skandrick definitely plays too physical and grabs and holds way too much and has even had a few blown coverages these last couple weeks, whereas Steven Nelson, on the other hand, struggles to play the ball over his shoulder like ever, and he also (laughs) blew a lot of coverages earlier in the year. So both guys have major flaws that can be attacked as long as a team knows that going in, which they definitely seem to. Look at all the downfield targets versus Nelson and all the big receivers that just try to cross uh, Skandrick's face. So they're about the same. And why do I think it should be? I mean, yeah, that's the way it's going to have to be for now until they figure out something. I would prefer to put Skandrick, I think, out on the field before Nelson, but I know the team likes Nelson. I think Skandrick, the way he's losing more often right now is by holding, and if you just keep challenging a ref to throw that flag over and over and over again, eventually he's going to stop, whereas Nelson's never going to get better tracking a ball over his shoulder. Yeah, and I I think that Skandrick is showing a little bit of heavy legs over the past couple weeks. I've noticed a couple times that he seems to be struggling a little bit to keep up whereas he looked a little more spry in the in the earlier weeks if we're just basing it off of performance this year I think Kendall Fuller's been the worst of the three just on performance I think he's the best corner of the three but I think he's still like Maddie said getting integrated into the system he's being asked to do a lot playing the slot playing outside he's learning a lot of new stuff and he's also having to learn how to play more man-heavy defenses. So I think he's simultaneously the best and the worst, if I can hedge on that one. And then after that, i probably go Skandrick and then Nelson. Nelson blows way too many zone coverages for me, so I, I, Skandrick's ahead of him. I tend to agree with that. Um, would Real quick bonus question for that, yes or no, would you bring back Nelson or Skandrick? Oof. Um... I'm going to say no. Originally, I thought yes going into the year, but I kind of, as Craig said, if Skandrick's showing just a little bit signs of getting older and the ability to not play a full season, if he's going to be heavily relied on, that gives me a cause for concern. And then Nelson, I just, I haven't seen the progression out of him that I was hoping I'd see by this point in time. So I think someone's going to pay him a little bit more than I'd be willing to. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I don't think that I've I've ever really been kind of on board with paying Steven Nelson necessarily, but if you asked me 3 weeks ago, I would have given Orlando Skandrick a a small, you know, couple year deal after this season. But yeah, he he's looked like he's slowing down a little bit as the season's going along, so that's a no. At Tamindus 79, if the season ended today, would Sutton be back as defensive coordinator, Maddie? I I want to say no because, I mean, we heard last year it was a big deal that Bob didn't have his guys, so we can't blame him. They spent this whole offseason. I mean, I don't know if they necessarily got Bob's guys, but they got guys that are supposed to be for him to have a better defense, and he simply doesn't. His just use of players, not only who's starting and who's out there at wind, but how he asks them to play is just so mind-boggling to me that I cannot imagine they continue to trot him out. They're like, he does nothing. He's provided nothing for this defense to make them better, in my opinion. He's 
not a terrible defensive coordinator. He just hasn't elevated the team in any way, shape, or form this year. So I just I see no reason why he should be back. Yeah, and I know I'm the Bobsativity guy, but no, he should be gone. He's not shown an ability to put his players in the best chances or best places to succeed. He holds back young players because they quote-unquote don't know the scheme so that Ron Parker can get on the field and blow coverages repeatedly. This is it's unacceptable. Bob needs to go if this is going to continue this way. I just don't know if Andy's actually going to pull that trigger. He needs to though. This this week was a pretty big like breaking point for me too. Like it was just really rough to watch. So I yeah, I, I wouldn't have him back. At SH Web twenty nine asks, who would you rather see as the defensive coordinator in two thousand nineteen? Bob Sutton, Sean McDermott, Todd Bowles, or Jim Tom Sula? I, I think if I had to pick one of those guys, I'd go with Bowles. I think that uh, Bowles is a pretty good defensive coordinator and a poor head coach. The only thing that I don't necessarily like about Bowles is I want a guy that's going to be a little bit more of a motivator. I mean, I think that Bowles is certainly a better motivator than Bob Sutton is, but I I (laughs) want a guy that's going to be a, a little more vocal, hold the defense to a little more accountability. I want a defensive Eric Bieniemy basically that can come in there and implement a scheme that may not be as sophisticated but expects excellence on the field. Bowles was my close second choice. I think I had to go with Sean McDermott. I just think that he's had a couple successful defenses now that have run a variety of different ways, and I think he's just kind of proven that he can adjust on the fly, not like even within a game, but from season to season or during a season. He can work with multiple different fronts, personnel. He's shown me enough that I think he could take what we have and find something that works, and when he gets a chance to change it, to mold it closer to what his vision is, the perfect defense, he'll start doing that, but he can kind of work with anything you throw at him. So I would definitely take McDermott first, followed by Bulls, and Tom Sula over Sutton easily, because I just, I, again, I think Tom Sutton's just, his time's run his course here. I'm a big Sean McDermott fan, um, and I think he's done a lot of really good things, believe it or not. Um, winning the games he has in Buffalo I think is actually incredible I think he's a good coach um, and I think he's a good defensive coordinator too um, so that would be my guy but I don't think I think I think they're going to keep Sean McDermott I think they're going to give him another year um, Todd Bowles is a realistic one I'm keeping my eye on at seriously AJ real quick with Buffalo how's it going to get better for them like they're not getting a new quarterback oh, there's no there's no one to draft like they're stuck with Josh Allen which remove any opinion you may have of Josh Allen just based on what you've seen like or the rest of the team like he's got no help mm-hmm. like how are you going to progress if you're Josh Allen with no help like, on that offense it's just no it's bad but I mean I honestly I think Sean McDermott what he's done with what he has has been fantastic yeah, I mean I winning two games that. is just amazing yeah um at AJ Coleman what is the best thing to order at a major KC barbecue restaurant? Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to go and take Q39 off the table so Kent doesn't say his terrible fried chicken oh take God. and and <laughs> go with the uh, pitmaster at Q39. Excellent, excellent sandwich. Get the onion straws for a side. Yeah, I mean, well, it doesn't matter which barbecue place I'm going to. I'm ordering ribs. It's going to be some kind of platter dinner thing. I talked about with these guys. Kansas City fans can come blast me. I've never ordered a Z-Man sandwich, and I'm never going to because it's simply not enough food for me at once to spend $10 on a jumbo sandwich. I'm ordering a platter or a dinner that comes with more food than that for a little bit more money. So rib dinner of some kind, give me two extra meats with it, two sides. We're getting more food than just a sandwich here. Z-Man on Texas toast. Don't listen to Maddie's terrible takes <laughs> like about sandwiches. If you eat Maddie like a bird, to, it's good for you. Ma- Maddie has to eat 4,000 calories every meal to sustain his figure. So that's, uh, that's why. Um, at David Maida asks... Who should be getting the majority of snap, snaps at safety, inside linebacker, outside linebacker? Real quick, let's turn through these. Safety, uh, Lucas and Murray, end of story. Don't play anybody else. Inside linebacker. Now that Hitchens is out, I, I think that the looks that they showed with Dorian O'Daniel and Reggie Ragland are going to be common, although Ben Neiman in his couple snaps was intriguing. 
and then outside linebacker with the current health it, it you're stuck basically with uh Breland on it every down and D Ford opposite him yeah don't have much to change I mean I think Lucas should be the the biggest deep safety Murray can play a little bit more box and a little bit more on tight ends although I think both are capable of switching so it's not a big deal there Inside linebacker with Hitchens out, Ragland has to be a starter now, and he might even have to play into some passing situations more than he has in the past. I am actually very Great. interested. Yeah, I'm interested to see Neiman out there a little bit more on pure running downs because I'm not so sure O'Daniel's ready to stop interior mm-hmm. runs. I love Dorian O'Daniel, love him as a prospect, love him as a chief. I'm just not sure a team can't just run up the A-gaps over and over again to whatever side he's lined up on and pick up an easy four or five yards before anyone makes contact. And then outside linebacker, I mean, it doesn't matter. You get the best edge in the league this year, so we're good with D Ford and that nose tackle. Oh, sorry, I mean, uh, Breland speaks on the <laughs> Craig, real quick, would you like to free Tano over Breland speaks if you were uh, – if you were running the show? I, I would definitely free Tano a hell of a lot more than Bob does. I think I think he <laughs> deserves snaps, and he's not getting them. He's another guy that, that is just frustrating. Breland does work, but there at the end of the game, Breland has beat up on a tackle all game long. Bring in Tano. That's, that's the perfect situation. It, they're passing the ball. Bring him in. At K Gumminger asks, with all the love Reed is getting for the offensive scheme this season, what noticeable impact has Eric Bieniemy or other coaches had this season compared to previous seasons? I'm going to stick with Bieniemy here because I really think the run game this year has looked quite a bit different than it has in the years past with the Chiefs. The Chiefs have always had a few counters and stuff to their game and an occasional inside zone runs, but for the most part, they ran outside zone. And they might have thrown a pull here and there with it and some different stuff and RPOs. But for the most part, it's outside zone heavy, some inside zone followed by counter. This year, you've got all sorts of different stuff. You've seen them feature the outside zone, inside zone. You've seen some power or man blocking from them and some off-tackle runs. You've seen sweeps. You've seen I mean, double pulls on a buck sweep to hunt. I mean, you've just seen all sorts of different running schemes from them this year. And I mean, it would only make sense that the ex running back, you know, heavy running coach is the guy that's implementing all this stuff. And I mean, either that or they just have so much more faith in Cameron Irving to get out in space. And that's been a huge part of it. But I really think BNME played a huge role in the, the new run game. Yeah. And on top of that, I think BNME's. Uh, demanding of excellence like I referenced earlier has has really helped the team prepare on offense as well I think he's got them in game mode by Friday every week like they're ready to go and I think that a lot of that has to do with him sitting down with Andy helping prepare the game plan helping those guys be as ready as possible I agree with all that. Um, I think, you know, it does does seem more organized, more accountable. I think there's a lot of good things going on that side of the ball, both in scheme and just organization. And uh, I really like what's happening over there. Um, at KJH3172 asks, how did Denver gash the run defense so bad? It would be a shorter answer to ask how they didn't this week. Jordan Lucas. Jordan uh, Jordan Lucas. When Jordan Lucas was on the field, they were a better run defense because they had a box safety that was willing to attack a gap. The box safeties did not attack gaps. They stood flat-footed. The inside linebackers stood flat-footed. When the defensive linemen got penetration, they didn't get good enough angles, didn't pursue, didn't do enough up front. It was all bad. If you go to my Twitter page, at BarleyHop, it is now the pinned tweet. I am going to continue to add to a thread every week. It's called, Why the Run Defense Sucks. And it's just going to be video after video until they start to improve. Yeah, and I think it, I mean, as much as we do want to say that Ron Parker was terrible in run support, and even Eric Murray wasn't good, I mean, it starts up front before those guys, too, because... Yeah. The defensive line, I mean, it's a one-gap system, so people do have to understand a little bit. Our defensive line is not trying to take on a block and extend, hold, extend, and peek his head over either shoulder and control two gaps. Yeah. They're trying to control one gap. Sometimes they might have to cross a blocker's face to get to their gap. Sometimes they're going straight forward. There's different stuff, but they're mostly looking to control one gap. The problem is some of our guys don't understand when they can't get to their gap that you literally just need to drop your knee, you need to drop your butt, you got to do something to keep your gap safe. 
and to hold up a blocker that's trying to get to the second level. And our defensive line just simply doesn't do that. They don't recognize when they've lost their gap that they didn't have the explosion to get into it. So there's just all these free linemen getting up to the second level that are cutting off slow linebackers. I mean, let's face it, Hitchens and Ragland are slow, and they don't seem to realize they're slow. These guys take aggressive angles to the ball when it's going off tackle over and over and over again, and they get caught up. They get washed out, caught up in all the trash consistently. Finally, how many times did we see Breland Speaks just get run right around? Because for a guy that was supposed to be this good run defender, he lost <laughs> contained five, six times Woof. minimum. Right. And sometimes they were picking on they were picking on him in the run game too yeah, on the outside sometimes stuff. Sometimes he wasn't even getting blocked back in. They were just letting him get sucked in and then running right, right. around him because he can't change directions fast enough, even if he's unblocked, to even string the play out. So I mean it's just a full wide system failure against the run. But, I mean, there does seem to be some missing coaching cues along the defensive line on when to give up the one gap, the play two gap, what the linebackers are trying to do in terms of where they're attacking and how they flow. So everything is the answer. All right, we'll end on this real quick. At Keith McLean, given Hughes firing in Cleveland, do you think the Browns pull off the upset? Yes or no? No. It'll be close, but no. Negative, and I don't think it'll be as close. I think it's going to be a blowout. Uh, it just doesn't feel Heard it here like. First. Uh, Kit says the Browns are going to blow the Chiefs out. <laughs> no. Oh, good catch. Oh, good catch, Matthew. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Thanks so much for all your questions. We'll see you after a blowout by the Chiefs Don't against the Browns. Don't forget to check in next week to get literally Craig's literally diagnosis on his literal knee injury. <laughs> Catch you later, guys. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out. And if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, the future of work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.